Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shares Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela, and I have such a fun episode for you guys this week. I am so excited to share this with you. I get to sit down with Ashley from Revive Tribe on Instagram. We talked all about her consignment business, and man, oh man, is she a consignment guru. Wait till you guys hear about the way she runs her consignment business, how she got into reselling. We share lots of our own tips and tricks and how we do things. Ashley was very transparent about how she runs her business and uh, where she sees herself in the next, we'll say, three years or so. So I can't wait for you guys to get to know her better and hear all about her story. So sit back and we will see you at the table. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Today I am sitting down with Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Welcome Hello. to the Villa. Thank you for having me. So excited to talk to you. We've already been chatting for like 15 minutes before we've been starting yeah. recording because that's what <laughs> we always do here. Um, and there's so many great things we're gonna bring to you in this episode. But before we even get into all of that, I want Ashley to introduce herself to all of you. Uh tell the people who you are how you got started into reselling, what life looked like before that and and kind of where you're at now. So I started reselling uh, full-time six years ago. It was a bet between my husband and I. I had always resold in some sort of capacity. Yeah. Um, in high school, I would like buy belly button rings in bulk from like eBay. And then I would divvy them out and sell them in high school. So like there was always something happening where I was like flipping stuff. Um, my mom was a manager at a, at a thrift store growing up. So it's kind of just a world that I grew up in. It was just something we were very middle class. Um, my mom was a single mom. And so we learned how to shop very early, very cheap. And there's just something about that hunt. Mm -hmm. And as a reseller, we all know what that feels like. So I kind of took like a little piece of my childhood and turned it into a career. But um, I went to school for business marketing and a minor in behavioral psychology. So like being a human lie detector test, I, I mean wanted to- that's great. It was, it was so cool. Uh, I learned a lot of really cool things, but yeah. I, I went to school for marketing and then I ended up moving to Florida and I said, you know what? I don't, my heart's not in, I don't want to do sales. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I want to be my own boss. So I think when I was pregnant with my first son, I was transitioning out of kind of like a big girl job. And I just, I really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and I wanted to be there in a way that my mom wasn't able to be there for me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start selling stuff on eBay. I'm going to go back to my roots and kind of just like go back to that and just make some extra money. Well, extra money turned into like very quick money, very fast. And I thought I invented reselling. So there was <laughs> like a moment where I was like, how did nobody know about this? And yeah. then I found Instagram and I was like, oh, a lot of people know about this. And <laughs> yeah. I think in like a three month period, I ate as much as I possibly could in the reselling world. And then before I knew it, I was like a month in and I was like head deep, had inventory, had clients. I was, it was crazy. And the consignment side of my business kind of fell into my lap. It was one of those things that wasn't really planned. It kind of just happened. And that's really the the really cool part about it because I've been able to really navigate it and learn, but also pave the way for anybody else who's interested in being like a reseller's reseller, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so when you first started reselling, was there like a specific category that you were focusing in on or were you kind of like whatever came my way? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I and I tell everybody this when they say, how, how do I start? Start in your own closet. So I started with my kids' clothes and it was like, two bucks here and a dollar here. And, th and that adds up, you know, th those little sales add up and it was exciting. And I said to my husband, I said, I think I got something here. And he's like, there's no way you are going to make any sort of money doing this for a living. And I said, give me a year. And we Watch shook me. on it. <laughs> we shook on it. And now we just moved in six months ago to our 2000 square foot, like storefront, which is not open to the public. We're online only, but um, and he's like fully supportive. I hope one day he'll quit his corporate job and just come and join me because last year's numbers were triple what the year's numbers were before. So we are growing insanely fast and it's been really exciting. 
And I'm sure people listening are like, okay, can she tell me all her deep, dark secrets and how she grew so quickly? Um, yeah. And, and we will talk about that. We but don't I gatekeep think, here. We want no, everybody no. to eat. <laughs> we talk about everything here. <laughs> That's what we do with Thrifters Villa. We just talk. We share yeah, everything with yeah. everyone. Yeah, we, we just want to give it all away. We'll give away all the tips and tricks. I've got nothing to hide. Because I, I do believe in this, in this, um, in this industry, there's a lot of limit, like you can either be very limited mindset, or you can be very like, there's enough for everybody. And I always try to go on that route that there's enough for everybody. Because once you start that limited, all the resellers are taking the good stuff. Don't put mm -hmm. your stuff on YouTube, because everybody's going to find out about it. People aren't going to stop giving stuff away, right? There may be more people grabbing things, but you, that just means you need to switch it up and be a little you bit need more to get better. Game. And I say this all the time to people. Yeah. Okay, so those brands that you were once able to get that no one really knew, now people know about it. So guess what? You have to go back and put your little reseller, uh, reseller learning hat back on. And now you got to learn some other brands that are out there that no reseller is really picking up right now. Sure. Go on those websites. Go do some research. It, you're sitting on the couch anyway. What difference does it make? Like you're scrolling. So don't scroll TikTok or Instagram. Scroll a website of a company. Sure. And that's the other thing too. Anybody who has any sort of ADHD or had a hard time, like just like being in school or working for mm -hmm. a job, this is why reselling is so great because it never stops changing. Right. The styles change, the brands change, and, and, and you see it throughout decades, right? Like mm -hmm. what was popular in 2000 is now coming back. So, but in five years, things that were popular probably in 2015 might be the hype. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I might be, you know, yeah. there might be some time traveling things going on. I think the 80s are going to be here for a while. Like Ashley called that. but yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be the 80s. I think we're going to see a lot of 70s yes. and 80s. That's I'm, what ready, I think for that. be. I'm I ready for that. I'm ready for that. I think the, the Y2K movement, it's fun for the young kids because they were bored with like COVID and everything. So sure. I think it was fun for them. Um, but I just see a lot of elements of like that 70s, 80s and 90s. And I just think that the fashion there is so beautiful and Same. it's so unique that you're going to see a lot of that, I think, in the future. But then I also think you're going to see that classic element from like the 20s, 30s and 40s, like the, the way. Classics. The oh, I got goosebumps. I, I know. And, and, and the thing is, is the classic looks never go away. No. So even as can't. a reseller, pick them up. Just mm -hmm. keep picking them up because that timeless look never stops and it's timeless. So it continues to show up in fashion, no matter what time or decade you're in. Mm -hmm. So that's, what's great about the vintage. I don't really specialize in vintage, but I do know a good vintage piece when I see one and I will always pick it up. Same. I'm the same way where I'm a modern girl seller. That's what I do. I love the modern brands are easy to flip. They're Right. easy for me to recognize. I can tell by the tag and the quality. Vintage, it doesn't come natural to me. But when I see something that's unique, and that just comes with experience and time, you'll just sure. notice when you look at something on the rack, you're like, this is special. I just don't understand why. So let me right. Um, I still grab really unique vintage pieces. And then I'm surprised. And I'm like, do I need to do this more? Because I think I have an eye for it. <laughs> right, right. And I always say to people, when you when you first start, the hardest part is knowing the brand or knowing your fabrics. The fabrics are always the hardest thing. And that, that, that can't be taught. That's not something that I can say, well, right. here, this is what this is. Like you getting out there and actually feeling your materials and actually looking at tags and checking those comps in those first couple of years is crucial yes. to navigating the rest of your business down the line. Because there's things I learned in that first year when I was, when I was sourcing and you'd see something and you automatically go, no, or, yep, oh, let me throw that in my Rolodex of brands. So I call it the Rolodex of brands. And it's really funny because I have two girls that work for me. And one's been with me for two years. And she's so funny now because she'll be like, I know this brand. I know this brand. And I'm like, you do. You photographed it 900 times. So right. that though being able to touch and feel in the beginning stages of your business is crucial to how you navigate the rest going forward. Yeah. And it, it's going to continue to change. So make sure, even if you're not hitting a thrift store, I haven't been to a thrift store sourcing. It's had to, before the hurricane. So at least nine months. I do go for my personal self. And yeah. sometimes I'll pick up one or two items here or there. But I do think once my life kind of settles back down <clears throat> and we move back into our house and things settle down, I do want to make it a point to go to the thrift store at least once a month sourcing not for myself but yeah. to reacclimate to the brands and the vintage and kind of where the market is shifting yeah. i think it's important that you hold yourself accountable in doing that because 
if you're not out there, somebody else is. Absolutely. So. Um, we also love digressing here, but to go back to what you were saying about the business, you mentioned consignment. So at what point did you transition from selling your kids things and, and your own things, right, to sourcing a few things to now, okay, I'm ready to take this next step and now go to consignment? Because we've had some people on here that do consignment and that have explained sure. it. Um, but it's always nice to hear everyone's experience with it and, and how they maneuver consignment because it's different for every person depending on what it is that you do and what you sell and who, what kind of clientele you deal with. Right. So my business model is a little bit different than most, <clears throat> excuse me, most consignment stores. Right. I'm not taking so-and-so stuff from down the street who's bringing it into my store or bringing it to my house and going, all right, I'm going to pick and choose and it's 10 or five items. The consignment that I'm doing is resellers, people who have death piles that can't get through them fast enough, people who need a hand, and we take a small percentage of that. And that is how I grow my business. So the way that that had kind of fallen in my lap, I couldn't get inventory fast enough when I started. I hit the ground and I was like, let's go. Mm. But I lived in New Hampshire at the time. Um, and I was right on the border. You were of, so close to me. I know. I was right in Nashua and um, right in Two Hollis. Hours right away. On, yeah, I was right on the border of uh, uh, Massachusetts and yeah. New Hampshire. We lived there for four years and I couldn't get inventory fast enough. Like the caliber of inventory I was looking for did not fit where right. I was. Right. And in New Hampshire, there is a very like Patagonia, Columbia, LLB vibe <laughs> that is very much like New Hampshire. And for me, I'm like, I want the Chanel. I want the Louis. I want the, I want the, if it doesn't sell for 30 or more, I don't want it. Um, and so there was this woman that owned a furniture store in, in, uh, in, I forget where it is, um, in New Hampshire, I forget the town. Um, but her name was Maria and she owned a furniture store. So what she would do is like buy out, do like cleanouts for people who were evicted or estate sales or, um, storage units. And she would get these crazy things of furniture, but with these buyouts came the contents of the rest of the house or the storage unit. And so she would have all these clothes. And so I, I went into her and I said, Hey, I'm a reseller. I, I see that you have tons of clothes here that are just in bags. Like, what is this? Can I pick through it? Can I buy it? And she goes, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a reseller. And she goes, would you be interested in taking all of it and then just processing it and we'll like split it or something? I said, wait a second. And so from then on, I got so much stuff from her in the beginning. Like we were getting Walmart, but then like right next to that would be like a pair of Tory Burch shoes or Louis Louboutins or it was so weird because you didn't know what you were going to get at any given time. And, and then I was like, wait a second. And I was processing probably a hundred items a month for her back then. Right. Um, typically a month now we're processing about 800 to 1200 items a month um, at this current time. I can't even so, like fathom that amount of clothing. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Um, I could not do it without my team. Um, we do yeah. have two listers and we have two employees and then myself. And I'm going to throw out my husband in there because he is like, not that he pulls orders or like is in the in-depth details, but he is so supportive in what I do. So um, yeah, so that's kind of how that started with consignment. And then I put out there like, hey, all these people have death piles. Right. And then it, it kind of like grew. And then when COVID hit, nobody could shop. So then it kind of like lulled and it was actually perfect because we had moved from New Hampshire to Florida right around that time. And I was like seven months pregnant. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to just step back. I'm going to take yeah. a break. Um, and then my one of my really close friends, um, we've never met in person, um, selling mama, Jessica, she is a huge reseller. I mean, you want to talk about moving stuff. She makes me look like a joke. Um, and she inspires me every day. And so I had looked up to her and I don't know how it kind of happened, but our boys are very similar in age. Um, or right when I found out I was pregnant, she had just had her son. So we grew really close over that. And she was the first person I told I was pregnant other than my husband. And, um, she had kind of said like, Hey, I, I've got some stuff and I'm, would you be interested in doing some consignment for me too? And I said, absolutely. And then that blew up and she's always like dropped me down and like has always like shown me out and like told everybody about right. me. And so that was really cool because I've gotten really amazing clients through her. And then 
we have 150 clients currently. And I would say 140 of them are resellers. So there is somebody in the community that you probably know or anybody listening that we sell for. So it's so interesting. Like so many things pop into my head when you say that, that the majority of them is resellers and people, people always come at me when I say this, but like resellers have a shopping problem. And I feel like a lot of people who get into reselling is because they, they have that addiction to shopping and there's a way to satisfy it without that guilt of you buying it for yourself. Does that make 100%? There's nothing like if that's your therapy, then, you know, I am not negating any of that. I'm just saying it seems to be a common theme. Sure. That doesn't necessarily resonate with me, which I love to shop. I, I mean, I admit that, but to say I have a shopping addiction, no, it's, to me, reselling is purely for one thing and it's to make as much money as I can. Absolutely. Right. Like, and so even, if it's I so have funny. inventory and it's not moving, get it out. I don't want get it. Get it out. That's how I am. And it's so funny because I think when I first started, I would kind of hoard my inventory because I didn't have inventory coming in. And now I'm like, I can't get this stuff out of my shop fast enough. Like we're in 2000 square feet. And currently I think we have 4,200 items active. And then backlogged, I think we are 2,500. We are probably 4,000 items backlogged right now. Wow. And we list, we list and we list and do about 30 to 50 items a day. We are listing 30 to 50 items a day. Um, On any given weekend, including relisting, we get capped by Poshmark almost daily saying you've reached your limit. You're done. Almost every day. Well, and here's the other thing that just shows how many, like how many articles of clothing exist in this world. Right. There is enough for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yes, there is. There absolutely is. That's, that's fascinating. Okay. It's a lot of moving parts. And I, and honestly, I, I, I feel like there, how do you organize it? How how do you even do that? (laughs) Um, we have a really good inventory system. That is the biggest thing is like, I'm looking at my inventory and I'm like, dang, how do we do all this? This is a lot. I could not do it singularly. I think if any of my girls were to quit, like abruptly, I would be standing in the middle of this place. Like, uh, like without them, it does not run. So I have not taken a picture of any inventory except for like live selling shows. Um, in probably four or five months. So I physically do not touch any of the clothing that comes through these doors anymore. Um, what I will do though, is I will go through, shuffle through, make sure that my clients are staying up to our standards on what we take, what we don't. Um, sometimes I'll pull some things and do whatnot shows with the stuff that I think is kind of lower end. Um, but for the most part, like we are just a well-oiled machine and we're just making it happen. And you've been doing it for like, <laughs> honestly, a short period of time. Like it hasn't Six been years, that long, yeah. right? And it's I think, just- yeah. So the first, I'd say the first four years were kind of just like dancing with the idea. I loved it. It was fun. We're going to yeah. do it until it doesn't feel right anymore. And now I'm like, I couldn't even get out of this if I wanted to. It would take us <laughs> yeah. at least a year to get through what I have in here alone. And I'm okay with that because I do really love it. As a mom of two young kids, I will say it is a a juggling act. It's really, really hard. Um, I'm just in like a season right now where I just feel really overwhelmed. Um, But mostly I think that's because of the last nine months have just been complete chaos for my family. And, you know, we went through Hurricane Ian. We lost our house. We lived in an RV in our driveway the last nine months. Um, And then I got this place in January. So it's, it's been one of the hardest, but most fulfilling years of my life so far um it's the best time I never want to do again we'll just say that (laughs) a lot of great learning experiences but right (laughs) yeah it's been a hard year um but it's also been an amazing really great year too so so let's say there's someone listening and they're like well that sounds like a good idea I have these death piles I know I'm never going to go through them either I'm going to donate it to the thrift store or I'm just going to send it to thread up or whatever right Right. Um, if someone has interest in doing such a thing, how, how does that work? How can they reach out to you? And no guys, she's not accepting anyone new. Sorry. Yeah. So right now, um, you can always DM me, but we are on a wait list right now. And we are, um, the wait list is about four to six months long, give or take. Um, right now we are not accepting anybody until the new year in January. So we are backlogged that far. Um, we took on two pretty decent sized clients that had a very successful business. And when I was like, 
sure, I'll take it. They all came at one time. So we had five pellets delivered direct. So we had a, we had resellers. We have resellers who send us pallets direct. They don't even see the stuff. They don't even get to go through oh. it. They don't even know what's in these boxes. Um, well, they know what's in them, but they right, don't know. But that's like, a lot of trust too, to like not yeah. sort them and stuff. Okay. Correct. So that is my biggest thing. And I, and I say this and, and I have tons of people that will vouch for me and, and know that I, there's two things that you will know for me without a doubt. And I will, I would die on that is you have my word and my integrity. So if I say I'm going to do something, I will do it, or I will communicate why it didn't get done and apologize profusely. But, and, and, and I have integrity. I will never go to bed with any sort of guilt on my conscience, because to me, like if, people are trusting me with their side. Of, like it's their business too. Right. Uh, if somebody just get, you know, I don't know how much this stuff was, but I know how much it's worth. And I know that they're depending on me to pay and feed their family. So right. how dare I be dishonest because I wouldn't want it done to me. So right. there's a lot of trust that does go along with that. And I don't think everybody is built for that. So, um, you know, you hear some crazy stories and me being in consignment, I've heard some crazy stories. Like I sent stuff to somebody and they never paid me out or yeah. just kind of like we stopped hearing from them. And, and, and I, I understand that and it's not for everybody. And it, it is a big commitment. You, you know, you really have a contract is my biggest, get a contract in place before you start doing consignment. Be very, very clear on what you take, what you don't take. Um, but a contract is a binding contract like just make sure that you're protecting yourself and that they have protection too because it is a trust a trust situation when you're doing consignment <laughs> it absolutely is um are you able to share what the percentages look like for or does it depend it so the the percentages do depend um so one of my clients because they're sending a different caliber of right stuff um for instance, we have a client that sends us Gucci new attacks, but they're runway Gucci and a Supreme Louis Vuitton coat, uh, new attacks. Um, we're getting Chanel new attacks, like for things that are going to sell for $2,000 to $5,000 or more, we do a scaling system because I feel like if 50% would be amazing, but to me, that's not really fair. Right. Um, especially if you're trusting me with that kind of right. inventory, um, and who am I, if I'm not competitive with ThreadUp or if I'm not competitive with the real real, they're going to go to them. They're not going to use me. Right. Um, I have that mom and pop effect or the small business effect, but right. I need to create some sort of reason that they're shopping with me over those big box businesses. And that's how I do that. Um, but typically, um, our consignment rate is about 50%. And out of that 50%, we as a business probably take home maybe 25 of that. Yeah. We have overhead employees and things like that, but that's how we're able to move it and get it going. And so people hear 50% and they don't realize that like there's a whole yeah. thing in the background happening. It doesn't just magically get listed and it's me like a little worker mouse doing it. Like there's a whole team. Right. And I think that's something a lot of us forget when we start buying into all these subscription services and all these things that exist in our community. And some of them I think are essential and some sure. are not, um, or w whatever it is, whatever it is that's out sure. there that people are trying to sell you. I think we have to always remember that, okay, we made a, we might have made a certain amount of money gross on the platform, but now you need to figure in taxes and your subscriptions and your monthly expenses. And do you have a VA? Yeah. And like, what does all that look like? We forget that those that have brick and mortars or warehouses or storage units have a whole nother element of expense that sure. those of us that things, have things out of the home. Like I don't, I'm not, it's here. You know what I mean? Right. And I will say, you know, I very frequently share my numbers and I don't do it. And I, and I never want, and anybody who's followed me or has watched me on the internet, I don't do it more or less of like, look at me go. I'm yeah. so bad. A eh? that's not why I do it. I do it because I remember how I felt when I started and somebody was sharing their numbers. And I was like, yo, I want those numbers. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it gets me super motivated to see other people who are doing better than me, their numbers. So I'm like, right. I'm going to show my numbers because if there is one person that is like, man, I'm just really feeling down about eBay. Like we just hit $25,000 on eBay every 90 days. And it took me almost three months to hit that. Like I wanted that number so bad And every, for three months when I said it, I failed all three months. Yeah. So when I finally hit it this month, I was like, 
yes. Like I even mm-hmm. still, I'm like so hyped up about it and I'm not doing it to be like, look at me go, but that is a gross number. So when people see those numbers, I, I you made such a good point on that of like, people don't realize that there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that those numbers look great. But in retrospect, that is not, that is not right. the numbers we're taking home. I'm not like bathing and going, getting sand <laughs> with money. Okay. We're right. not like making it rain over here. Yeah. I mean, we live comfortably, but there's always ways to make your business better. So yeah. don't see the numbers and be like, Ooh, and odd. Cause they're just numbers. They are. And, and Gross numbers. Know, <laughs> yeah. But you don't know people's situations either. Like, right. And it all depends on where you live too. So, that you know, too. you lived in New England. It's expensive here. So <laughs> expensive. Point blank. I don't care who you are. Like you can make, you and, and if you have a spouse could each make six figures and it is still difficult to live here comfortably. Absolutely. It is. I mean, so and in Florida too, in Florida, you definitely have. So you have areas. Yes, you do. You have areas. Yeah. It, um, it can definitely get, um, pricey depending on where you're at in Florida as well. Well, you also have a lot of New Englanders that move down your way. So yes, me. <laughs> you are very right about that. Yes, they take over. So yeah. So you you know, someone who's making twenty five thousand that lives in a small farming town is very different than someone making twenty five thousand gross now who lives in Boston, right. Massachusetts. And, and and keep in mind that the person who's living in the small farm town may or may not be working extra hard to get that inventory Correct. too. Everybody's situation is definitely different. And I think if you're going to do consignment, if I can give my top three like tips, have a contract, make sure you know who you're going into business with. And if it feels wrong, it's wrong. Follow your gut. If somebody is giving you the weird weirdness in the beginning, or you're just like, dang, man, they just seem like they are going to be not easy to work with. It is a partnership when you're doing consignment. You aren't above them. They aren't above you. Like they are trusting you with your, with their product do the right thing, but yeah. also hold the line and have that standard for yourself and your business. Because if not, you're going to get stuck with a bunch of stuff that doesn't move and a lot of wasted time and money. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are great tips to give to people who are thinking about going into consignment. My, my next question to you is, so you have this consignment thing. I know that you're listing things on eBay, Poshmark, and is that it? We were doing Mercari, um, but they just rolled out the four point six or the four times six yeah, label, <laughs> so we may go back to it. Um, but right now, eBay and Mercari, or eBay and Poshmark, and um, we dabble in Mercari. Uh, it just wasn't bringing in what we yeah. thought it was going to, and it just wasn't worth it. And then we do live shows. We try to do about three to five live shows a week. Some weeks are better than others on how many we do. So um, I would say, when I started live selling, my sales a month tripled. So let's talk about live selling because I think there's this element of live selling that's scary. There's this element of live selling where it's like, I don't know how to make it fit into my business. And then there's people that are like, this is the most amazing thing I've made the most money ever in my life, right? So there's this this spectrum and it's a continuum, right? And it's everyone kind of falls in these different places. So for me personally, I can't make live selling fit into my life in this present moment. Um, I have medical things that I'm going through. I'm focusing on different aspects of my health and well-being, and I have appointments and it's like, I work a full-time job and, and I have a, I have a life outside of reselling and it's absolutely find that time to do, even if it's a silent show is still time away from me sourcing in my limited time and photographing and listing the things that are quality pieces to me. They're going to bring me that 60 plus dollars every time. Right? right. So I had to draw a line for myself because I'm very easily intrigued by things. I'm like, this seems sure. interesting. Let me research. Like, let me see if I can get into this too. Cause I like to be an early adopter. I think it's very important to be an early adopter in certain things. Right. But when I really sat down and thought about it, I was like, oh, I know every, cause everyone always says to me, I don't know why you don't do it. You have the personality for it. Everyone knows you're right. podcasting. You I was going to say, you have a really good personality for I, it. I like talking to people, but like, Same. do I want to be on for an hour or two selling clothing after I worked all day? Like, and I have to buy differently. Like, it would be very difficult for me to, for example, I sourced a pair of Gucci boots on the rail rail during the warehouse sale and I got them for a steal, but I'd rather listen than auction them on the live sale. Absolutely. So my situation is a little bit different because I am consignment. So I have resellers sending me stuff just for whatnot. 
I have customers that go, hey, after 60 days, if it doesn't sell, throw it on whatnot. So my situation is different because I'm not sourcing. Mm -hmm. I'm not sourcing. I, I, have, I have probably five to 10 packages coming in a day of client stuff. So it's not like we are very plentiful in, in consignment. And I could see where that would pose an issue for somebody who's not doing consignment or is a not moving the amount of, um, of product, you know, that's doing 20 or 30 items intake, uh, you know, a month or, or what have you. Um, and so I think re, uh, live selling takes a lot of commitment because you do have to grow. You have to get that following. And in the beginning, people are like, dang, this is hard or, I'm just not getting like the following. And I, I, I still have shows that are doozies. I did an hour show yet, uh, this morning. I, I was doing a pass or run show and we went through 50 items and nobody said run. We went through, I was on for an hour and I sold one, two, six items in an hour. I made less than a hundred bucks, you know, and you have that, but there could be a show that I do. The other day I did a jewelry show from a box I've had sitting for months in here that I forgot I had of jewelry I sourced and I made 300 bucks on that show. Right. It was like, you just never know. So I will say like live selling is great if you are willing to move stuff. Mm -hmm. If your intention is to move stuff and you got it for cheap, move it. But for Gucci boots, I wouldn't throw them up on whatnot either. <laughs> yeah. If they were sitting for 90 days, I'd think about it, but always put your best inventory up move the stuff that's been sitting. That's always kind of been my motto with live yeah. selling. I, I'm a 90 day kind of girl too, but with my 90 days, I reassess and say, okay, do I need to maybe move it to a different platform? Do I need to look at Vestir? Do I send it back to the real rail and see if they price it right. higher, right? And then I've done that plenty of times. I have where, done that so many times. And I make so much money on it. I'm like, guys, I bought this from you for 30 bucks like six months ago. Okay, I'll take the three, 400. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> I there has, there has been many a times that I have bought things off of ThreadUp or The Real Real. When I actually first started doing live selling, I'm going to give the secret away and now everybody's going to flock to it, but I'll give it away because we don't gatekeep here. So um, when I first started reselling, what I would do is I would go on the Real Reels website and I would go to their directory. And then I would go to the outlet section of ThreadUp. ThreadUp has an outlet section where mm -hmm. if you buy 20 items, you get 40% off. Mm -hmm. And I would go down that list and type every single one into that search Next. bar. And then I would get all of those things for 40 bucks, 40% 40 off. I, they were like seven bucks a piece. And then I would take them all and I would send them all to the real real. So smart. So when I was in transition, moving from from New Hampshire to Florida, I I had sold everything. I I started completely fresh, and so that's what I did. And it was amazing because I was like making hand over money. For, it took some time, and I was doing two to three orders a week, give or take. And it, it that's what I did. But I think if you're gonna live sell, you could absolutely use that kind of um, idea, if you will, and yeah. and use that to do live selling. Go on the real real, go on ThreadUp, see what their top selling brands are and go buy it on ThreadUp Outlet, get it shipped directly to your house. Then you're not, you're sourcing on your phone at night before you mm -hmm. go to bed. You're not even in a store and then use that for whatnot. It's you know, true. there's very many ways to implement whatnot. Even if you're not doing a show five days a week or three days a week, even if you're just doing one show a month, I do think it is worth growing and trying until it doesn't work for your business anymore. Keep going if it works and drop it if it doesn't. Yeah, I think, and I think that's kind of where I am right now. Where it's like, once I get over this hurdle of, I mean, people here on the podcast know I, I'm going through IVF. So it's like oh. life itself, it focuses around just this one thing. And Absolutely. You have to, and you have to change everything about your lifestyle and everything about everything that you do. And it's been months and months and months of this. And it's, it's like your body isn't your own, you know, no, I get that. You never feel like yourself, right? There's, there's all these yeah. components that go to it. So I'm in a mind frame of when I'm in a better place in my life, where I feel like I have control of myself because I don't sure. right now. I, I, my life is dictated by doctors. Like that, that's basically what it's, and, and, and in right. that's what my life is dictated, dictated by. So when I'm in a better place, what I see myself doing with live sales, and I think I would do Poshmark just because it's what I'm the most familiar with. And I feel like I'd be more comfortable with it. Um, I can see myself doing like a once a month and it would be like tailored to a specific trend or tailored to a specific theme. 
like sure. luxury, for example. Right. And I would get all these pieces. And in my mind, I'd pick probably whatever hasn't moved. I would grab that stuff. Right. Right. I may source specifically by like, because the Boston bins are going to be open up again. So maybe I go to the Boston bins because I know <laughs> that I can grab some good stuff at the Boston bins. Sure. Dirt cheap. And, yep. and then I've got the brands that people want. And I good old Boston bins. <laughs> oh, man, it's been a sad two years without them. Let me tell you. I used to go Three to the years. bins in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, I forget what town it is. They can be Yeah, I used to go. I used to go all the time. I man, those t-shirt bros in New Hampshire though, they don't (laughs) play, man. They're they're like a whole different breed of human being. If you're watching this, boys, chill out. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, but the the t-shirt bros you see in New Hampshire, they go from New Hampshire to Boston. They just kind of like bounce to all the bins. Yeah, they're in and out. They look what they want and then they're out the door and they go to the next one. That's just what they do. Yeah. Um, but I have found some of my best pieces in the New Hampshire bins and I found some of my be- best pieces in, in Boston and you just never know what you're going to find. Um, I love that. Yeah. It's it's great. But like, that's where I see myself when it comes to live sales. Like it's very tailored and very type a, right. So it's tailored, it's structured, there's a theme sure. to it. And then there's an actual process in place. And I would probably not do more than an hour because as yeah. much as I could talk for more than an hour and be on, I know myself and I can get obsessed very quickly with things. That's how I am. You know, it's really funny. And I I haven't touched on this um, on my stories on social media, but I was having really bad jaw pain. Um, People knew that I was having jaw pain, but I didn't really correlate why I was having jaw pain. Um, So I started reselling on whatnot. And all of a sudden I started getting really bad TMJ. I was going to a specialist. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. I have a mouth guard. I was contemplating surgery and, they could not figure it out. They were the, but then they did an x-ray and they were like, the jaw muscle is so inflamed. What do you sing? Which I used to be, you know, I sang. So I wasn't unfamiliar with having jaw pain, but I was like, wait a second. What has changed in my life? I was doing five whatnot shows a week. Wow. By the end of the day, my jaw was so swollen. I couldn't talk. I couldn't eat. I was having headaches. And it was 100% correlated with doing whatnot shows. And I still wouldn't stop. And the doctor finally was like, you need to chill because you're going to do some serious damage and you need to stop talking as much as you talk, which I've heard that my whole life. So I was like, whatever. (laughs) So then the hurricane has happened, you know, life has kind of happened. And so for a while, I don't think I did a show for like two months. My jaw pain went completely away. So I do know what that feels like to be completely (laughs) obsessed with something where you do it and your body is physically like chill out. So Mm -hmm. I totally get that. (laughs) And you have to know your boundaries with it. And then there's probably some people listening, like I could never see myself doing it. It's just not my personality. Yeah, I think that's fine. I don't think people have to do it. I agree with you. I, and I think there's a lot of pressure, especially with trends, you know, when there are trends that are happening, people want to jump on it or other people are like, absolutely not. And I think when whatnot, whatnot was one of the main selling platforms I started on, um, for live selling. When that first came around, I was like, this is stupid. I would never do that. Then I went to whatnot and I was like, what is the hype about? And I saw it and I was like, and I became immediately obsessed. I think for the first three days I was on whatnot. I think I went and looked in your apps and you can see how long, I think I spent 20 hours in three days on whatnot, seeing how it worked, what it did. I applied to be a seller. And then before you know it, I was in too deep on that. I could not get enough of it in the beginning. Yeah. So it it has slowed down quite a bit, but there is some, it's like a time vortex. You say an hour. I always try to say an hour. I'll even set a timer for an hour and it goes off and I'm like, who wants me to run five more? Like, it's just so fun. But I think if it doesn't fit your business model, it doesn't fit your personality, find other ways to make money there. That's what makes this uh, community and the, and what we do so amazing is there's Mm -hmm. so many outlets to make an income. Mm -hmm. I think we all feel pressured to all do the same thing. Absolutely. We don't have to like, it's not necessary. Not everyone needs a YouTube channel. Not everyone needs a podcast. Not everyone needs an Instagram page. We were talking about this before we started recording. Um, you have a YouTube background. I have a YouTube that I started and I have completely fallen off a cliff because I realized it took too much of my time 
Sure. And as much as I enjoyed interacting with the community and who knows, you know, one day I'll post a video. I don't know. But like, right. I start to lose that like creativity and drive to do something. I'm out. I'm not doing it because it doesn't serve me a purpose. Absolutely. With this, on the other hand, podcasting, I will do it week in, week out. It doesn't stress Aww. me out. I don't feel like I'm taking up time you know like it just it's natural to me it's natural right? right I enjoy the conversation I have a background in teaching I taught the visually impaired I taught early childhood I taught special oh. like this and I work in state government so I deal with politicians so like right right normal to me right sure and that's why the podcast has lasted as long as it has and that's why reselling has lasted as long as it has because I only focus on the things that bring me joy and Absolutely. that really really make me want to keep going as soon as I start to feel like something's off or I don't want to keep going I assess you, every situation absolutely because I don't think reselling you know I think if you're a full-time reseller obviously you're paying your bills and things but I also think that everybody started reselling because it brought them some sort of joy and I, there have been many times and I'll be honest when we opened this store there have been a lot of times I've looked at my husband and I said I don't I never wanted to get this big I don't, I don't know if I want it like this. Like there is something so special about doing it out of your house yeah. and it just being small and being like, look what I found at the thrift store. And it's like five or six perfect pieces that are going to fit your aesthetic. Like yep. there's something so special about that. And so I, I always looked up to the larger resellers who had the warehouses and who had the things. And now I'm in the thick of it. And I'm like, man, some of these, some days this sucks, yeah. but there are other days where I'm like, this is amazing. Like I can sit back and look at it. And so I absolutely agree with you that you have to do what brings you joy. I started a reselling YouTube, um, which is really funny because I, like you said, my background was in, I had, I did YouTube full time before I started reselling. I did makeup. Um, I had a really good following. I made money. It was, it was super fun. It was in the era of that like, was the thing to do. Makeup. That's was, what I did. I I'm jealous because I, in 2005, I wanted to start it, but I was like, so nerd. I didn't have any equipment to do a YouTube video in 2005. Right. You know what I mean? But that's when the height of beauty YouTube started. Right. We ate it up. And I did vlogs and how to make St. Patrick's day decorations for your <laughs> table. Like it was, it was fun. Yeah. Um, so my background was YouTube and I love content creation. And, and if you follow me on social media, you see my stupid videos and <laughs> that fulfills me enough to like, not feel the need to do YouTube. But I did start a YouTube for reselling. I did the intro. I was like, in the intro, I said, the content might not be consistent, but it will be valuable. And I haven't done anything with it since because right <laughs> now it's just, it's just just like for you with the live selling, it's just not in the capacity yeah. of what you can do right now. And I had to step back and be like, it's just not in the capacity of what I can do right now. But in six months, that may change. So right. for now, we're just going to let that intro video rock and do its thing. And we're going to keep on reselling but in this I capacity. Think, I think with, with your story, right, and what what you're doing right now, you will get to a place where you can maybe step back even a little bit more. And now you're giving people a real inside of like, like I think of uh, uh, Lindy Glenn, right? Like I think of what Lindy has done and she was just an eBayer out of her house with right. her kids, right? And and she grew it to what she is now. And now she's sharing a totally different element of reselling, which is fascinating. And, and right. I've always looked up to her because I think she taught me so much about eBay without like me having to sit there and stress about it. Like she just made it so right. easy. And, right. um, and I think you have something very similar in your business. Oh, thank kind you. Of what she has. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, my biggest thing was, is I, when I started, there were so many people that offered me information. Mm -hmm. um, there were so many people in the beginning that had been one or two years deep or started right around the same time I did. And and we kind of just all melded together and just tried to raise each other up because if one of us was winning, we were all winning. And and it was so special about five years ago when we were on in that community during that time, because I feel like there was not a whole lot of gatekeeping. I mean, some people would keep their sources, but other than that, I mean, I, I do feel like we were all really just trying to learn and grow. And it was such a special time back then um, to learn information. And, and so that is kind of, the thing that I've kind of carried with me throughout these last six years of doing this full time is like, if somebody DMs me, I will always try to answer them. And if I don't have the answer, I will try and find you the answer. And um, because so many people offered me that, that I feel like it's like my duty to help newer resellers win too. 
Yeah. And at the end of the day, we all started somewhere. We all were newbies. We all didn't know the things that we know now. So right. I, I think there's, and maybe it's just in our nature and who we are as people, but I think there's this beautiful element of being able to assist those that um, are starting and they have these questions. And there are certain questions that I know for a fact I didn't ask people because I didn't want to look stupid. I didn't want right. that big reseller to be like, why is this girl asking me this? I mean, just <laughs> it's right there. Like why, you know what I mean? And that's not, a, that, that isn't a real situation. That no, but I know what you're saying. I mean, I would be lying if I said there hasn't been times where I've gotten e very direct blunt emails from oh, yeah. resellers being like, where'd you get that? Yeah. Reseller 101. I'm not going to tell you where I got it, but I will <laughs> tell you how to find it in your own way. <laughs> yes. yes. Never ask a reseller that question. It's like asking someone where they get their pallets from. Please I think that's do the that. only rule. I do think that's the only rule in reselling that we yeah. all kind of agree on. Don't ask where we get our pallets from and yeah. don't ask us where we get our stuff from. Figure it out on your own. Right. If you know where we live, figure it out. <laughs> like if right, I said I right. a thrift store, Go on Google and figure out where you think I am. Like, right, I've right. done it. <laughs> I have absolutely There have been many a times I've seen people post some palette pictures and I've gone a little FBI to figure out where they got that, okay? And if you're not doing that, are you even a reseller? <laughs> so true. It's so true. I have definitely like, this is, this is really pathetic to admit on air here, but I have absolutely stopped a YouTube video to look at like what's surrounding the area that they're in so that I can figure out, I can literally take that and put it in Google image and figure out where they are. So I know what thrift store they went to. 100%. If, I think if you haven't done that, and I think if anybody's game. like, I've never done that, you need to, okay? <laughs> just once, just play FBI one time, okay? It's super fun. Makes you feel a little creepy, but you know what? It's the so, game though. You want to find the inventory. You want to find different inventory. You want to find the inventory that that person is finding. Don't stalk them. That's bad. Right. But like <laughs> figure out where it, you, you got to do that detective work. That's part of being a reason. That's what right. any buyer would do is you're hunting online to find where these pieces are. Absolutely. And, and that's, and, you know, that's the, that's why I think this, business is so amazing because there really is enough for everybody. People yeah. are never going to stop donating clothes. People are never going to stop changing their closets. Nobody is ever going to go, I'm keeping all of my clothes forever and that's it and I'm done. <laughs> Unless you're a minimalist, nobody's doing that. And we don't live in a minimalist world, let's be real. So um, I think in some capacity, reselling will always and forever be alive and well. Um, and I think, unless everybody just goes to a virtual world and then nobody's going to change their clothes at all. And then that's a whole different situation because yeah, probably reselling some sort of thrift store will open up in virtual. Okay. Yeah, right. Let's just be real. <laughs> I just don't see that. We, we are such cre like social creatures. Do you know what I mean? Like we thrive on people looking at us and the attention yes. of new clothing that we have. And um, I think the only thing that angers me a little bit now that it, when I go into a thrift store is the amount of Amazon fashion brands in Sheen and all of that stuff that I see, because that's what's made it harder to source for someone 100%. like me, right? Is I'm looking for quality pieces, but every single thing on the rack is, you know, $5 and under cheap polyester that I, I'm not selling that. 100%. But you know, what's ironic about that. And and I can, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I think that this is a, it sells. people get very upset about fast, fast fashion. And, and I do too, but I would be lying if I haven't pulled something off of the rack and been like, I really like this. I'm going to wear this and buy it for me. And so I do think that there is a market for fast fashion and in, believe it or not on live selling, there are specific sellers who only sell fast fashion. Yeah. And I think there's a market for it. And although it's terrible for the environment, I do not stand behind 100% fast. I do not stand behind fast fashion at all. I will not buy it firsthand. Right. You will never see me go to Sheen or Timu or right. whatever the other ones are. You'll never see me go on that website and buy clothing from those websites because I don't think that it adds value to our 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 community. I don't think it adds value to the to the world for the health of the world. Um, and there's a lot of toxic chemicals on those clothing. And a lot of people don't know that. So um, people get rashes and things like that. And so the whole thing kind of freaks me out. But I do think that there is a market for it. And I think people love it. People want to be yeah. able to flip their closets fastly. Um, 
and efficiently and still be in style. So unfortunately, I don't think fast, fast fashion is ever going to go away, but I do think that there is a way that resellers can capitalize on that mm-hmm. and turn it into a profitable market for themselves. Especially if that's the common brands that you're seeing. I I know that there are like that, what's that brand? Pretty little things or whatever. I know oh, for a fact, yeah. if you go on Poshmark, there are pieces that have sold for over a hundred dollars that people- Absolutely, because they're rare and some of them are just- you get a certain style or a collab and it's over with. Like it, it just is. takes, you know, it's it, not but people, people are only going to pay for, yeah. People are only going to pay for something what they think it's worth. Correct. And so sometimes fast fashion does go for a lot because somebody thinks it's worth that. So everything has a value. How much are you willing to pay for each item? So it's true. You are absolutely right in that. And I think the only fast fashion, I, I don't buy fast fashion. I used to like even Walmart or, t- or um, Target. I absolutely, 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 time, right? absolutely. I and I do that now. It's at the I'm not store. saying like, don't go buy fast fashion. Like if yeah. that is your thing, do it. Do you be, do go on with your bad self and do it. Yeah. Um, I just think for me as a reseller, and I'm sure you can probably speak on that too, is we see it in the thrift stores. We see the impact that it's having on thrift stores, on landfills. And so consciously, I personally cannot do it anymore. But I have done it before I understood the repercussions that it's having in the fashion industry and the textile and the, I could go on and on about it. Like I really could. That's the, that's obviously the biggest reason why I don't love it. But the other part is when our thrift stores become bombarded with it as in terms of being a seller, like we're going to take out just being a shopper because being a shopper, there are fast fashion things that I've picked up for myself secondhand. I'm like, this is cute. I'll wear Absolutely. it and then I'll just sell it myself or whatever. Like not a big deal. 100%. I bought beautiful H&M pieces that I would never pay retail prices for at the thrift Absolutely. store. Right. When I am at a rack and I am searching for whatever, whatever the category, we're going to say dresses and every dress on that rack in size, small, medium, whatever it is, is Sheen or it is an Amazon brand. I have a problem with that because now I can't find what I need to find. 100%. In a perfect world, just hear me out. And this just came to me in a perfect world, thrift stores would separate it. I know that would be a huge undertaking, but if they're getting it in that much of a trove, I wonder if it would just be easier to throw those fast fashions right on one rack and then leave like the vintage and the other stuff that you're not sure about on the other rack. And not because I think that it doesn't hold value, but you're right. Like sifting through those racks and seeing those fast fashions, it, it it's can get really disheartening. Time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And time is money. And as resellers, we don't have a lot of time because most of us are momming. Most of us are going to school. Most of us are raising a family. Like when we go to the thrift store, we are there for a reason. We're not there to lollygag. Like if I was going for myself, sure. But when I'm sourcing, I'm I'm tunnel vision, you know? Right. And you have to be that way. That's just the way it, it because like you said, time is money and we got to we got to get the pieces that we need and we got to get out. Absolutely. It's like you're, and I understand people say like, oh, that's my therapy. I like to spend a lot of time there. And that's great. If you can do that, I can't. Right. I can't do that right now. I have two children under six. I yeah. cannot do that right now. Yeah. yeah. I also don't have the like mental capacity to be there longer than 45 minutes. Like absolutely. Anything. Yeah, on that, I see, I'm just, everything looks the same after about 45 minutes. And I'm like, I, I gotta go. I'm hungry. Yes. I'm always hungry. So I eat before <laughs> and then like, 10 minutes in, I'm already thinking about what I'm about to eat when I leave. Like that is just how I work when I'm, and for some reason, I'm always hungry when I source. Is that a thing? Am I the only one that is just like ravished afterwards? I get hungry. I'm like shaking. Yeah. I mean, Doritos in the lane. Cause I I like went and bought Doritos in between. I I don't know what it is about thrift stores, but it makes me hungry. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why I don't last at the bins. People like, or they're like, you only were at the bins for an hour. You're lucky I survived an hour at the bins. <laughs> I've seen people bring sandwiches and lay down blankets and like have picnics at the thrift store. And I'm like, you are going all, you are doing too much. The thrift has got to be real good for me to want to like camp out for longer than 45 minutes. Like I, I have to if be- I were out of town, if I went out yeah. of town and it was like something, like it was an actual thrift trip, I could see that. But like in your hometown no, or like within an hour of where you live, I don't know if I could do that. I don't I know. It, I did it once, but I didn't like camp out. It was, I went to a thrift and I found one Chanel shoe, two Chanel shoes, Louboutin. But not the what? other? Oh, no, no, no. I found, these were all pairs. I was at the thrift store and it was just, I filled two carts 
I did not leave. I was there from 10 a.m. to like three. And I filled my, and I just kept, it was an estate sale that had dropped off and they just dumped everything and they were putting all the stuff out. And I was like, there is no way in hell that I am leaving this place right now. I am going through oh, the my men's goodness. section, the kids section. I'm going through Absolutely. Everything. That's like a once in a lifetime thrift trip. Sure. And um, Jen was here in Massachusetts at the time and I called her and she had just had her baby. Her, Ellie was maybe like three or four months old. And I was like, listen, I know Ellie is napping, but you got to get your butt over here right now. Because Did she come? She did. She came and we oh. split because I'm a good friend. I split. I could have just taken it all myself, but like sure. in reality, I had no business in taking it all myself. Right. So yeah. we split it. I think I had spent like $400. She spent close to the same amount. And that was like a once in a lifetime. I will spend, I will be here all day, every day. And I went back the next day and found some pieces as well. Absolutely. And then, it to, then it started to dwindle. Right. Those but, are the things that get us like high as resellers yes. is like those finds. So I don't know if I mentioned, I don't know if I've mentioned it yet, but the other day we were doing an unboxing on a live show and I'm just pulling things pass or go pass or go. Like, do you want it? Do you not? And all of a sudden I pull out a Bottega Veneta bag. Ooh, it's missing a piece ones? of hardware, a new one. Ooh. I pull out a piece of it. It's missing hardware. And I'm like, That's okay, let me, I'll run it. We'll run it for 30 bucks. And I go, let me just check the comps on this though. Cause this looks like a really nice, like it looks brand new. The bag retailed for $9,900. And I said, okay, we're not going to run it on whatnot. We're not going to run it. And so I get to the bottom of the box. We're through the box, whatever. The piece of hardware that is missing is at the bottom of this box. And I said, no way. Nope. Would this have ever happened in any other situation? And so my girl, one of my girls was working and I looked at her and I said, if you take this to a cobbler and get this fixed or figure out how to get it fixed, mm -hmm. I will give you 20% of this sale. And she goes, are you serious? And I said, I swear to you. Mm -hmm. And so she calls me a half hour later and she go, and sends me a picture. She goes, I fixed it. It just needed to be screwed on. And I was like, no. <laughs> so she is about to get 20% of whatever that bag sells for. And I'm happy to do it. Because so hot right now. You're going to get, if it re 9,000, you're going to get close to retail for it. Close I hope so. It is missing one little like screw piece, but even right. then I think it's going to sell really well. And she's going to get 20% and it's going to be a really fantastic. cool day for all of us. So it's like one of those like once in a lifetime things. Yeah. Like we were pulling out like Gap and yep maybe Tory Burch and a couple Mark Jacobs. And then all of a sudden this bag comes out and you're like, what is happening? Like, I feel it, it reselling is so cool in that aspect because we get to touch the bottom of the barrel fast fashion. And then we're touching like one of a kind vintage that doesn't even exist anymore. And you're the only person with that piece or a $9,900 Bottega right. Veneta bag that you would never buy retail. Cause as a reseller, I just, I would throw up at that. Um, I would rather go buy like an American muscle car that needs some work for that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so reselling fills my soul in so many ways, more ways than I could ever, ever put into words. It's like the perfect job. I love that. So where do you see yourself in the next, I don't know, we'll say, we'll say three years. Cause I think five years is hard to predict because I know yeah. if you want to predict five years, but I feel like Two to three is really realistic. Girl, I've got I got vision boards going out five. All right, let's so go. Tell me All about right, it. Buckle up. Buckle your seatbelt up. Um, so my vision for the next three years would be in a perfect world, in a perfect manifesting world. Yeah. Um, I would like to live in Costa Rica half the year with my family. I want to homeschool. I want to have chickens. I want to have a garden. I want to be like the really cool hippie that lives in Costa Rica half the year. And my business is self-running. I have people in place here in America that run the business, maintain the business. I have a, a GM who kind of just handles the business yep. and reports to me and makes it happen. And I am completely out of the business while I'm not here. Um, right. And then the other six months, we're here, we're hustling, we're loving life, we're doing what we need to do. And then I get to escape and go back to Costa Rica for six months. In a perfect world, that is my goal. It's been on my vision board for the last two years. And my husband and I are about this close to yeah, making yeah. that actually be a reality. So that is something that we are working really, really hard to do. Um, and I would say we are probably like a year and a half out from that happening. That's fantastic. So we're going to look at land in Costa Rica in the next couple months uh, to purchase or own, if you will, and, um, and kind of get an idea of where we want to be. And that's the goal. That's an amazing goal. I love it because it's so different than 
um, what other resellers say too, because most it's usually, I'm either going to pull away from the business and like do something else because it really doesn't serve me anymore. Or it's, I'm going to go full force ahead and like grow this as much as I can. So they hear yeah. something say, I still want the business to be here, but I have this whole other life that I want to live where I don't even have to deal with the business anymore. Right. I like think- I want to make money and still take things out of landfills and, mm-hmm. um, but I also really want to like continue to content create because there's yeah. something about that, that really just, my dream as a kid was to be on Saturday night live. That was always a dream of mine. And so if you've seen some of my content, it's very like out of left field and people are like, why did she make that video like that? And it's just because some of my humor doesn't always, it doesn't always <laughs> translate like to the my humor world. doesn't always like correlate back. And people are like, what a weird video. And, <laughs> and that's okay. But I think the Costa Rica thing would allow for me to continue to do what I love, but also allow for me to explore kind of like a slower lifestyle that I have not been able to have and content create in a way that I haven't been able to do. A beautiful way to create content, may I say, because I've seen some YouTubers that have popped up that either live in Costa Rica or other remote places like that, that are now doing right. like the adventuring type thing and, and sharing their life of farming and homeschooling. And there's just something so special about that. So I special. As Americans, if there's one thing that the pandemic has taught us is that we move way too fast. I, so I'm first generation Italian American and my whole family. I'm second generation Italian American. (laughs) My whole family's in Italy. I have, I have some family that's in Toronto, but for the most part, they're all there. My aunts, my cousins, everyone is there. It's just us. And then there's like fourth cousins and stuff that are here, but like, it's not the same, right? Like my first cousins, my aunties, they're all over there. And my goal in life is to not live here. My goal is to live there. And I know that my grandmother and my grandfather and my, my dad and my mom by association, because she came in when she was nine, my dad came in when he was in his twenties. They worked so hard to come Absolutely. here and to give us everything. I got but goosebumps. Oh, cause I know here, what that feels like. I right. know what that feels like. Life and, and... here is not what they thought it was going to be. Right. And right. I crave that European everything. I crave- You know what's weird is I've never been to Europe. It's so funny because I'm Ooh. second generation. I have only ever been, I've never been to Costa Rica, but it's the same, um, I just, it's the same feeling that I had. I had never come to Florida, mm. but I knew I wanted to live here. There was just something so deep within me that was yeah. like, get to the ocean, get to the ocean, get to the ocean. And when I got here, I had never felt more home than I ever, than I ever had. And then we moved back to New Hampshire because I'm from New York originally, you know, upstate New York, Italian, in an Italian town, and <laughs> yeah. everybody's Italian, and yeah. um, it, and I know that you understand that, and so when we moved to Florida, I had to move back because my husband got a job in Boston, and those four years were so hard for me, and I kept a brave face, but I was so sad because I knew my heart was here in Florida, but I'm getting that same feeling about Costa Rica, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, I wonder if I would get the same feeling if I did go to Europe. Like, would I long for the European lifestyle instead of the Costa Rican lifestyle? So, I don't know how it's going to play out, but I do know that in the next three years, in some sort of capacity, I will not be involved in the business in the in the aspect that I am now, yeah. and I will be living the life that I deserve mm-hmm. and want. You said that right. And I know you're going to get it too. I will. I think, (laughs) I think that's my retirement plan. My goal is to retire early. That's my first goal. My second goal is to do six months or so in Europe. And then the rest of the time here, because I have a family, right? So like, there's all that, but I love that. The big goal is to just to bring everyone back over basically. Like everybody just just come on, come on, let's go. Let's build (laughs) a dramatic changes here in the next 15 to 20 years yeah Um, there's just there's a lot of americans moving to europe whether it's portugal spain i don't care italy everyone's moving we're looking in portugal too i will say that we're looking in a couple places yeah we are looking in a couple places costa rica was always like that one spot for me that just feels home for some reason but um we are i I can't say it's going to be costa rica but i do think that that is probably where we'll start yeah yeah, you should travel to Europe. You'll find a lot of places that you'll love. I know. My husband is a world traveler. He he's um he's actually in Boston right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's flying home as we speak, but he works for an Israeli company, so he goes you oh, know to Israel a lot. He works for a Japanese company, so when my son was first born, he was gone like two or three weeks out of the month sometimes, and he'd be in Japan, and yeah, so he has been all over. And then he was in the military, in the navy. So even though he was in subs, like he 
right, was all over the place. So um, he's seen a lot of things. So I do trust his judgment if he's like, Costa Rica isn't it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere in Europe really is it, to be honest. There's yeah, really no, no bad place. <laughs> in the food. I just want the well, food. I'm just here thing. for the food. Well, <laughs> and the thrifting isn't too bad in Europe either. There is a lot of I hear that. We have I have a client um who is a world traveler as well. And we get the coolest stuff from her because like some days we're getting stuff all European brands. And I'm like, I've never heard of this. Look at the quality of this stuff. Yep. And then we'll get some American stuff. And I can tell where she got it from based on yep. where she was in the country or where she was in the world because yep. the stuff is so cool. Like I love having her as a client because the stuff is so like collectic. Mm-hmm. and different I live for her boxes when yeah. they come one you're gonna have to come back and maybe you'll come back and talk to the Patreon group and we'll do like a separate thing you can tell us about like maybe like your top three clients and like the things that you've experienced oh, and horror stories I would love and, like, that. that kind of stuff I would I love to do that like that that would be super sorry cool. guys who I are not in the group stories I have stories that would blow your mind all right, we're going to plan this. Stuff. So Patreon group, yes. you're going to get it. Sorry, if you guys aren't in the Patreon group, then I guess you just have to join so that you can listen. Yeah, you have to join now. And now I'm going to go join so that I have it. So that's there's that. Stop it. You already uh, got this, a new subscriber. This is great. Thanks so much for having this conversation. It was so nice to connect with you face-to-face. And yes. And and get to know you better, right? Because we see people on social media and we experience their social media side. But, but to sit sure. down and like, have conversations and get to know people on a deeper level is so important because we're all absolutely (laughs) I always tell people when you see me on social media and you see me in person I try to really portray who I am in person and on my stories and I and I hope that that translates when you meet me in person and and when people meet me in person because I don't ever want somebody to be like she's nothing like she is online like (laughs) I am just very real I'm very black and white so um I, thank you so much for having me here. I, like I said, yeah. I, I know we talked about this right before we yeah. got on, but I don't put my name in my, in my, my face on a lot of things unless I really stand behind it. And so I think the podcast that you, you presented the community is so helpful and insightful. So I was super pumped when you were like, do you want to be on my podcast? I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that means a lot to me too, because I mean, you do have a large following, you know, and, and you. you do have a name in the community. So when people like you say, oh, I love, I like your podcast. I like what you guys yeah. do. I'm like, hey, you know, like, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, but it does, not everybody can do a podcast like you, you know, not everybody can do, everybody has a niche and I, and that's, what's so great about the community. So I'm happy to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope you guys enjoyed this as well that are listening. Um, Make sure you give Ashley a follow. All our information will be in the show notes. Um, If you go to her Instagram profile, she has all links to all different things that she does. She posts in her stories all the time. So you want to know what she's doing. There's always something. (laughs) She'll show you her house that's being remodeled. She'll show you everything. (laughs) Oh, there's a whole bunch happening in my life. So one day we'll get boring. (laughs) There is. And go check out her whatnot shows. And again, if you're interested in the consignment, you know, Ashley said there is a wait list right now, but you can definitely get information on that as well. Um, But that's it, guys. I will be back next week with Jen. Bye, everyone.